Special thanks to Log10 Pilot Logbook for supporting the Pilot Base podcast. Log10 is the leading logbook on iPhone, iPad, watch and Mac for over 100,000 pilots worldwide. I'm super excited to report that Pilotbase has negotiated an extended three-month free trial for all listeners. Just visit corridine.com forward slash pilotbase free trial. That's corridine.com forward slash pilotbase free trial. And for those needing data imported into Log10, the team can do that for you. Get started at corridine.com forward slash pilotbase free trial. I'm Ben, and I've been a pilot for over a decade. And I'm Dave, and I am categorically not a pilot. Every Monday we'll be chatting to both pilots and non-pilots with amazing aviation stories from all around the world. You can find all episodes of the Pilot Base podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to click subscribe and write us a review. Okay, shall we, uh, shall we make a podcast? Let's do it. Jared, Emily, uh, welcome to Pilot Base. I am currently in very, very rainy, uh, well, I was going to say London, but it's not London, it's Bristol, but I don't expect your British geography to be too well. Uh, (laughs) Emily, where in the world are you? Uh, We are in Lanai, Hawaii. Um, So one of the smaller islands out here in Hawaii on vacation, actually. So happy to be here. Oh, Ben, how good does that sound? A vacation in (laughs) Hawaii. Uh, We're not allowed to leave the country at the moment. So one day. Have you been, Ben, to Hawaii? No, never been. It's right at the top of my bucket list. (laughs) One day, one day. Uh, Jared, so you're on vacation in Hawaii. Where do you guys normally reside? Uh, we normally reside on Oahu, so it's just uh, another island over, um, but things are opening up a little more, so it's just easy to uh, to hop over a 30-minute flight. took a PC-12 yesterday. It was a pretty awesome experience just to hop over the island, and uh, now we got a couple days here. Uh, my, mo- my mom uh, flew in town to watch our oldest, or our only son right now, and uh, we're on a baby moon because we're expecting our second baby boy uh, in a couple months. So that's why we're just taking our last uh, vacation. I've never heard of a baby moon before, but I'm fully on board with it. Like any excuse to get away and spend some time together. <laughs> um, so, so, Emily, um, are you currently flying, even though you're pregnant? What are the implications there? I am not flying right now. So I could I flew all the way up to my 28 week mark. Um, and then in the Air Force, they make a stop. So um, I flew from 12 to 28 weeks. And now I'm on the ground until I give birth and then come back from maternity leave. Amazing. And Jared, are you well, obviously, you're on the baby moon at the moment. But are you currently in the air? Uh, yeah, definitely uh, still flying. Uh, I just got back from a trip last week doing some um, training in, uh, in the continental united states we're in nevada um washington state and then we went up to alaska to do some training with some uh, of our army units there so amazing right so most of the people who listen to this podcast are, are going to be familiar with you guys because of your unreal social media followings which we'll get on to uh, in a bit but for those who are pilot-based podcast fans who are meeting you guys for the first time um can you give us a, a bit of background and your and your sort of piloting stories and journeys uh, ladies first emily let's go with you 
Sure, sure. So Jared and I have a very similar journey, but um, we both went to the Air Force Academy uh, class of 2012 in Colorado Springs, Colorado. From there, we went to pilot training. Jared was in a class a month ahead of me. So he was in 1407 and I was 1408. we uh, we both dropped T1s, which is what we wanted. And from there, we knew we wanted to fly C-17s. Um, and so, and uh, let me see, April of 2014. No. Yeah. April 2014 is when we graduated pilot training and our C-17 journey began. And we've been flying those ever since. So, uh, so you literally kind of came through at the same time. Jared, you were, you were a little bit ahead, but since then, the journey has been side by side. Yeah, we've uh, been, every pilot, uh, I guess, beginnings are different, but ours were pretty tied at the hip from the uh, from the beginning. We've been uh, we've known each other since we were just talking about it last night at dinner uh, since 2009. Uh, dated most of that time, I think only like a year or two we were not, um, and then ever since we've been kind of paired at the hip for training and flying. We've deployed together. Like it's been a it's been a pretty. Uh, fortunate experience we've worked hard for it so i wouldn't say lucky but we're fortunate that at the stars of a line we've been hey. just uh, doing the same thing together this whole time I certainly <laughs> believe in luck but you've got to be in the position to take advantage of it when it comes there i mean you are lucky because as you said the stars had aligned how difficult would it have been if one of you hadn't have qualified that would have been awful oh yeah i can't we've we've seen it happen wow. um couples drop different airframes or com- like in completely different types of aircraft and it's it's an uphill battle from the very beginning so we think our lucky stars that that we didn't have to face that for sure so we made a decision oh go no go uh, on. yeah sorry we uh, made a conscious decision to pick an airframe that had a um, more uh, other crew aircraft it wasn't a fighter track or anything with single seaters that had less availability so we made a conscious decision that was the priority obviously to stay together um, and, and as well as I mean it was our number one choice even without that we're like this this seems like it fits everything that we want to do in, uh, in our careers and it has in spades so yeah. so what was it about it's the C-17 you said you fly right what is it about that plane that sort of made it so special that you guys wanted to commit to it well, I'll take this one. Uh, so, uh, I think in, uh, I'm hopefully not speaking for too much, but we do enjoy traveling. I mean, we're on vacation right now, uh, and Lanai. So the, the mobility aircraft that the, the airframe, the C-17 is, uh, we travel around the world. I mean, we've been over 40 countries. Um, we haven't traveled uh, to many recently, obviously due to, uh, the current state of things, but in our first, you know, three or four years, we've done 30 countries. Uh, wow. Some of those are just airports, but uh, we do enjoy traveling. And then the whole aspect of it being such a, a multi-capable airframe, it does um, aerial fueling. We do. We have the airdrop mission I was talking about. So it's not. Um, and then we can do, you know, short field takeoff and landings into dirt. Oh, pardon me. Um, so there's just a lot of things about it. And then the the bases where you're based. I know, uh, I know Ben's talked to you about, but even this, it's very similar. You want to you want to live in the locations where that, that plane is and not have to commute or uh, live in a uh, not a undesirable location. So our the bases for the C-17 were all pretty uh, good for as far as continental United States. We ended up in Hawaii, obviously. So we, <laughs> we're doing okay. We're doing all right. I think any job that takes you to Hawaii. I'm trying to think what the, uh, what, what would the British comparison be, Ben? Like Anglesey or something like that? oh goodness me so neither of you are from hawaii indigenously are you 
No, not at all. I'm from a landlocked state, so is Jared. So we're happy to be here. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Unreal. So they've been to 40 countries, Ben. How many countries has work taken you to? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, probably a similar amount, but, but actually probably for me, I've just visited more airports because mm. especially when I, when I was short haul, I was just diving in and out of dodgy airports in the Middle East. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get a stay over at many of them. Get out as quickly as you can. Uh, yeah, any particularly, <laughs> any particularly obscure countries that any of you have been to that you'd like to share stories from? Um, I haven't been to. I don't, actually, um, oh, this is going to sound bad. I don't actually know who owns Ascension Island. I think the British do. I want to say so. I want to say France. Oh, France. Okay, so I mean, it might be British. But uh, uh, it's in the center between South America and uh, Africa. And um, uh, in a lot of pilot training, I don't know, Ben, if you could speak to this, but they, they show, you know, some uh, optical illusions of airfields and how they look like. So Ascension's runway is on a, a, like a very large drop off of a cliff. And then the first 3,000 feet of the runway are like a straight uphill. Uh, and then the back half, it looks like a ski lodge jump, you know, like um, so – a lot of training manuals have the, uh, the approach into there, but that was kind of a very obscure place. Not a lot of people can kind of put the uh, the pit on the map. I don't know uh, if you have one of those maps, Ben, where you like put try to keep track of it all, but, uh, or an app. But that was one of the cooler places I've been personally. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I got I got to do um, go to Pisco, Peru, a couple times for a summit that was happening down there. And it was very cool. And we don't get to go to South America too often. So that was that was a lot of fun. When you have little deployments in sort of nicer places, what's what's your schedule like? Do you actually get to explore the place much or are you kind of stuck on a base somewhere? It just depends. Like for that one, there was no base. And so we got to go out in town and we ended up being there for like four or five days at a resort. And so we got to go travel around and, and it was... Uh, it was really fun. Now, sometimes there's places like, you know, we'll land in Greece and we'll only get to stay there for 24 hours and then we're out. So it just, and of course, those times you push it up and try to make the most of it. But um, it all just depends on the mission and what else is going on down the line. I've just, uh, you were right. I don't know why I questioned it, Jared. You were right. It's got a <laughs> union flag on the uh, <laughs> on the Ascension. I think I got it confused with Reunion Island, which is in oh, a okay. completely different part of planet Earth. So <laughs> never, ever question the global geography of someone who literally <laughs> flies around the world. I told you I'd ask some silly questions. Um, so, so, Jared, you're a, you're a demo team pilot is that correct yes, what does uh, that mean that, for somebody in c17 for that pack f uh, c17 demonstration team there's a few c17 demo teams uh in the united states air force um uh it just means that we do a lot of outreach events specifically since we're uh i want to say pack f or pacific air forces or uh in in the u.s indo pacom theater uh, it's a lot of acronyms but are uh fancy words but all that means is uh we try to fly around the pacific and uh, do outreach events in uh uh in our partner allied countries so uh some of the big ones are south korea and japan or australia or new zealand uh and we do air shows there for recruitment as well as to uh these are the first time some people have met americans and uh obviously just put a good foot forward and uh, let them know we're all you know uh, good allies and partners and then 
they asked uh, some. So you say you asked silly questions. I've heard many silly questions <laughs> at these uh, era events uh, in South Korea. They're very happy to talk to us, but they just ask some off the wall things you'd never expect. Um, uh, but Go on. I need that, to know more. Oh yeah, I, I gotta think of something. Now that I knew it was, that was a lead-on question. I was like, man, what, what have they been saying? But uh, to, to finish the question out, um, we do uh, several um, either addition uh, conventionally they're just called trade shows. So uh, the big one we're doing this fall uh, is the Soul Adex, um, which is a trade show. Um, I don't know if you've seen Iron Man, but kind of think of like the beginning where they're uh, either they're selling weapons or they're buying weapons or they're just buying planes or selling planes. It's like that. Um, and then we uh, obviously do an air show on the back half. So, um, and then we have like three or four of those shows. And then some of them are just traditional air shows where it's more of a recruitment tool as well as just an outreach event. So, to, you know, so like I said, first time people are meeting Americans. Are you guys kind of doing aerobatics and formation flying and stuff like that? Or is it more what you're checking out the back of the aircraft? Uh both. So the main profile is a, it's a 12 minute profile, uh, kind of almost like a capabilities uh, demonstration to show we do some high speed flight uh, with some maneuvering, uh, nothing substantial like bank. We only do 45 degree bank turns, but we do, uh, you know, slow flight. So we'll be fully configured at probably uh, about 115 knots, uh, fully configured doing a slow flight over the airfield uh, at 45 degree bank turns just to show them the maneuverability. And then the biggest um, thing that we do is uh, we do a landing a short field landing essentially um and we go straight into an immediate backing on the runway so it's called the rubber band maneuver um because we have uh we have load masters on part of the demonstration team and they'll open the uh, the back door up and then they'll guide us we'll back so we'll land you know stop within 2000 ish feet and then immediately start backing you know to around 10 knots um, and that's the big crowd favorite it is tough to go we usually follow an f-16 demo team or uh, the Black Angels out of South Korea, we follow them, or sometimes Thunderbirds. Or the, I know you've talked to a Blue Angels pilot, and uh, after we fly after them or an F-16 demo team, it's kind of tough to, uh, to wow the crowd <laughs> with a big plane. Um, it, it does uh, capture your eye just because it's such a large aircraft, but once we land and start backing, that is probably the crowd favorite when we're waving and backing. So. And you're From t- someone that flies a large aircraft, I cannot imagine, A, stopping in that amount of distance, and then B, reversing down the runway. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to pop her in reverse and just get on back. <laughs> a load master that's just kind of telling you a bit more left, a bit more right. How yeah, it's a coordinated happen? dance. Essentially, they're like they're guiding our speed to make sure, um, and then uh, using the correct terms. And then if we stop hearing them count, we're going to stop talking because we just assume that uh, we uh, hopefully they didn't fall out, but that never happened. <laughs> but, uh, that is something we brief, you know, contingency wise. So uh, it is it's a really cool plane. So, this, so uh, whenever we speak to to guys like you who do amazing things um, in planes my immediate question to ben is how does that make you feel ben and the answer is invariably nervous so how does that make you feel ben in commercial in the commercial world we're just like surrounded by this bubble of safety and then like extra buffers just to make sure so like i mean just taxing a, a 380 around an airfield is is hard enough let alone doing it backwards (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly yeah i've thrown some 90 degree turns or some star turns on a 50 foot um, taxiway and it gets real sporty so (laughs) real sporty (laughs) Uh, and emily you you don't demo fly do but am i correct in thinking you're an instructor 
That's correct. Yep. I'm not on the demo team. Um, we had to make a decision on who was going to take that one and, and Jared took that for us. So, um, but yeah, I'm an instructor and, and so is Jared. Okay. So how did you, you... Sort of like a package? You basically offer your services together to the Air Force. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, two options for everything. Yeah. Well, our um, our qualifications are so similar that on paper we look we look very similar. Jared just upgraded to evaluator, so he's got me on that one. But um, on paper, when you see us, you're like, okay, well, which Barkmeyer wants it? So. <laughs> did you decide you said you said jared took that one how did you decide was it like rock paper scissors or did you have a fight (laughs) (laughs) did you toss a coin i I think it was a little actually it was more civil despite we usually do have some uh arguments or i guess so we settle things with with luck or chance in that regard but yeah i think it was like hey i kind of want to take this one and she uh gladly stepped aside and then um uh with obviously uh, having babies and stuff emily the only reason i'm a little farther in the um, progression of flying in the military is just due to Emily's time off having mm-hmm. our, our children, our first and then now our second son on the way. Um, but that's the only reason. And she's obviously, uh, it's a unique experience to fly while she's doing that. And I'm very fortunate and blessed that she, uh, she's taking that for us because obviously I wanted a family. Um, but it's ultimately her time out of the aircraft while she's um, pregnant and um, out of, and you know, after giving birth with the maternity leave and stuff like that. So, um, that being said, she was, I was very fortunate that she let me do it because we can't be on the team together. Uh, the okay. current roles is like we can't fly, uh, operate in the same um, aircraft at the same time. We can be on the same aircraft um, well, as passengers. That's fine. But uh, we can't be operating the aircraft at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So do you? is it your plan to go back into piloting, Emily? Are you? Oh, 100%. Can't wait to get back. I love that. This is the thing, Ben, like doing this. So uh, I I think I said to you before, before we started the episode, this is since we've been doing this podcast, um, this has really been my first experience of getting to know pilots. And I love how much you all love being pilots and how much you all love aviation and just just everything that that, that goes with it and um, one thing i i didn't ask right at the beginning you gave us your journey into to becoming pilots but what was it about aviation in the beginning like the idea of becoming a pilot what originally sparked your interest um emily are you from a are you from an aviation family are you from a military family how did you originally get the spark I'm really not. My dad was a Marine, but that was way before I was born. Um, But honestly, he would, I grew up in a really small town in Colorado and every year there's an air show in Grand Junction and he would take me to the air show and the Blue Angels always came. I'm, this is like so corny, but uh, the Blue Angels always came and, (laughs) and there was some big jets there too, but like that really sparked my interest. And And uh, then I ended up at the academy and um, it seemed like a pretty, I don't want to say easy option, but the the opportunity was definitely there. And there's actually a time where I chose not to be a pilot because at the time, like the washout rates were really high. And uh, as a 20 year old kid, they were telling me that, you know, if you wash out, you have to pay back your education, which is to the tune of like 350 grand. And I was like, oh my God. So when you say wash out, does that mean not pass or leave? Right. Yeah, exactly. So fail out of pilot training, um, which is, 
I don't want to say it's common, but it's not unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they gave us our jobs list, I didn't put pilot and, uh, and of course, Jared's never been intimidated by anything, and that that didn't face him whatsoever. Um, but me, well, I, I've been intimidated by one thing. That's my wife. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's not anything. There's many things that intimidate, but that is the pr- primary one. So you shouldn't say that. But go ahead, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so I put that, and I immediately regretted it. But there's nothing I could do because I had submitted my, I made my choice, and now I have to, you know, I made my bed, now I have to sleep in it. Um, and like a month later, they came back and they were like, hey, the system had a malfunction. Like, you have to resubmit your jobs. And for, that was like a, a for me, I felt like it was fate. Like, I was meant to be a pilot. This was God giving me a second chance. And I did it and I never looked back. So I love that. I love that. Uh, what about you, Jared? That's a heck of a romantic story to follow. <laughs> Mine's less romantic. Uh, my uh, I grew up in uh, New Mexico, uh, so in the southern United States. And uh, my elementary school was, uh, sorry, it's primary. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, was kind of in a very rural area. And looking back at it, I, I realized, um, and it was near kind of a military base that operated some C-130 aircraft. Um, and I guess we were like underneath one of the training routes, a low-level flight. And uh, they would fly past our playground And um, when I was a kid. And I would just look up and be like, that seems pretty neat. Like, I think I, I want to do that. So it was literally just seeing the planes, you know, fly around our playground where we're at recess, you know, playing dodgeball or whatever, um, seeing them. And that was like a recruiting tool for me. And then the first time I, I rode on a, a passenger aircraft on Southwest Airlines 737, uh, I remember that feeling in your stomach on takeoff. I was probably like eight or nine. Um, usually that feeling comes from like when the pilot does a, a more of a negative maneuver, which airline pilots are not supposed to be doing a lot of negative G's. So looking back at it, think, thankfully that pilot, uh, I don't know if you got a turbulence or something, but I felt that I was like, man, this is an interesting feeling looking out the window and seeing the mountain go by. Uh, and I was like, this seems like a good idea. I want to do that. But my family didn't have much aviation. My, my father was in the Navy. Uh, my brother uh, was in the U S army. Um, and then, so they kind of steered me. Um, but I think a lot of our, why we're fortunate to go to the Air Force is we both wanted to go to the Air Force Academy for sports. And I know that kind of lends yourself to your background, Dave. So that's where we met is on the, the athletics team or just track and field team. Okay. Um, uh, so that kind of rec- was a recruiting tool, and that's how they kind of got us there. Uh, and we obviously stayed for different reasons, but to do sports there was a huge uh, benefit to all that. And then uh, we knew the benefits of aviation and the career fields afterwards. So yeah. that was a no-brainer. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. What uh, what were your events in track and field? I was a 400 hurdler, and Jared was a thrower. Yeah. Right. We'll come to throwing in a bit, but <laughs> um, 400 hurdles – is the most difficult event in track and field discuss <laughs> i'm not going to argue with you i think it's pretty damn hard but <laughs> it's insane so here's my gonna sprint maximum effort but we're going to throw things for you to jump over <laughs> in the middle of it and then she's humble she's, uh, she had the air force academy record for a long time no she's way. top two still three um, but she was very good. I was uh, throwing is obviously a totally different animal. And I was not anywhere near on the top 10 list. I just liked uh, lifting weights and uh, seeing the pretty girls run by. Yeah, good man. Good man. <laughs> Me and you get on very well. Um, th- so my my point with the 400 hurdles is me as a f- a human with four functioning limbs, I could complete 
a 10,000 meters or a 5,000 meters or a 100 meters and it'd be very slow, but I don't think I could complete a 400 hurdles. <laughs> and you're laughing, Ben. There's no way you could complete a 400 hurdles. The other, the other one is... I'm six foot five. I can get over those hurdles. Dude, come on. <laughs> I know your knees. Yeah. Um, the other one is pole vault. I don't think I could do a pole vault. Oh, yeah. So I would say 400 hurdles followed by pole vault are the two hardest in track and field. I mean, I <laughs> I wouldn't trust me with a hammer or a javelin either, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you can still move it forward, but yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So, so at what point did you, um, at what point did the track and field disappear to the side and it was full steam ahead with the, with the flying the planes? Um, graduation. So we, I was, uh, yeah, four years for track and then at graduation they, you know, were like, okay, well that was fun. Go to pilot training. So (laughs) that's what I did. (laughs) Do you know what, Ben, that it's, I mean, I know we're sidling into sports here, but you know what Ben hasn't what Ben hasn't told you is that both him and his wife are Paralympians. But we'll get to that. Oh, um, wow. the, in in American sports, it seems as though the system is always sort of set up to end at one point. Like you'll do it until the end of high school, and if you're not good enough, you'll never do it again. Or you'll do it to the end of college, and if you're not good enough, you'll never do it again. Or you'll maybe get the chance to do it professionally, and then you'll come to the end of your career, and that's it. Whereas whereas in the UK, we don't have the same elite high school and college set up but there are systems in place that allow you to continue with your sports afterwards i mean everybody is terrible at it but at least there's the the opportunity to do it a little bit more like into into adulthood and stuff like that yeah yeah that's we definitely like we talk about it often that we miss competition mm-hmm. um now in pilot training it's a whole different form of competition and so that kind of uh fed into that well enough i would say plus you're too busy to do anything else um but mm-hmm. yeah we we definitely still like miss that form and we seek it out in other avenues yeah i tried to hold on to uh the the athletic stream a little longer than she did uh after graduation i, I tried out for uh never done this like i said i grew up in new mexico i don't know if you know your u.s geography but it's a desert yeah. uh, climate uh after graduation uh the air force has a a program called the world class athlete program where if you're good in a significant or in an olympic event you can compete wearing the u.s air force emblem as a recruiting tool as well um i was nowhere good enough for track or athletic uh, or throwing i was terrible so uh, however i am just kind of naturally athletic um so i there's a uh, tried out for the u.s bobsled team u.s yes. bobsled and skeleton <laughs> so because uh, their recruitment their recruiting is just a is a combine event so uh you run short distances and get scored on and then you throw shot put which actually was uh, lent to my throwing career and then uh, uh, lit, uh some olympic lifting weights uh, as well as like a standing broad jump and those are all things that i'm just i i train towards and i'm really good at don't necessarily apply to like being well at a sport but i can do them uh stagnant um so i scored really well got invited to uh, do skeleton um, bobsled trials in Lake Placid, New York. Uh, and then I got, um, I did fairly well at the camp. I got invited back to, to start that journey. Um, however, I was really, it was kind of like um, 
two, you know, the, the, the roads diverged. I either had to full head of steam with trying to be an Olympic athlete. And it's only like a two year program outside the Olympics. And I probably wouldn't have got on even if all, everything went perfect um, until like the 2016 Olympics. So this was 2012 at the time. And I was, uh, I was okay. The real dream is pilot. That was fun. I need to kind of hang up the, the cleats or the, the spikes and all that stuff. And uh go full steam ahead with being a pilot, but I still, we to, to what she's saying, I, I have that, that hunger to compete athletically and I still work out and try to find new, um, new hurdles to jump over figuratively and literally. So opportunity though, just to, just to have the chance to train at those winter sports must've been so cool. One experience. It was terrifying, but it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, no one really tells you, uh, there's no like, very easy way you just kind of got to go down the track essentially um they put you you, they give you a few tips but they can't be there with you your first time going you know head i I was a little lighter uh, than i should have been for bobsled so they asked me to drop skeleton which is uh for those listening at home is face first on the ice yeah uh it's actually one of the safer ones but uh (laughs) believe it or not then bobsled or luge um so, you know, they, they take you about halfway up the mountain and they're just like, good luck. And you start getting up to speed. They give you some pointers and they just want to see how natural you are. You're like still with your sh- steer with your shoulders. I was like, I don't know what that means. They're like, we'll figure it out. Uh, and then the whole way you're just pinballing uh, across the ice and you're hitting ice at 40 miles to 50 miles per hour on your first runs. Um, and uh, I was black and blue all week, but I it was very fun. And then towards the end of the week, you start really picking it up and. Uh, but the experience alone, just going, doing skeleton at Lake Placid and uh, was just, there's so many things in the Air Force like that where you can try these opportunities that are there. Uh, um, so worth its weight and just doing it. Oh, totally. Absolutely. It seems, like, it seems like the military over in the US is so much more than like a, a career or it's just like an all-encompassing lifestyle, right? Where they give you tons of opportunities all over the place. It really is. I mean, there are so many doors open for you when you first start out. Um, As you go and and as you age up and you get older and more experienced and more valuable, you know, some of those doors close. But overall, there's just so many opportunities. Hmm. At what point are you guys going to be knocking on the door of desk work? Oh, well, I'm currently there, but that's because I'm pregnant. So <laughs> um, we we already are, to be honest. We're um, we're senior captains about to be majors, um, which is the next rank up. And we're definitely getting aging out of being line pilots and, and coming into um, more desk-centric leadership roles. Um, coincidentally, our pilot commitment also ends in 2024, so just a few years from now. Um, so that's when a lot of people make a decision of whether they want to pursue a 20-year or more military career or they love flying more and they want to jump out and see what other opportunities there are. God, 20 years sounds a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> it, is, it is. And then that's a, that's another, when Emily was alluding to, to failing out of pilot training, when we initially signed up the commitment, it was a 10 year commitment after training's completed. So I was, uh, you know, 21 years old at the time. And they're like, Hey, this is the next 12 years of your life. And you're like, what? Like, I don't, I'm, I haven't even have cognitive thoughts for 12 years yet. And I have to promise away the next 12 years. Like, uh, so that was kind of alarming. However, there's no, I mean, I have zero regret signing that I would do it again and again. Um, but at the time, that is a long time. And then, uh, as you said, another eight years after you've given, you know, 12 of your best years doing this. Um, and it does take a toll on you and we enjoy it and we're passionate. And that's, I think, why we do uh, relatively well. Um, 
but it is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a sort of young person's game, isn't it? Because you're, I mean, you're all over the place. Uh, flying itself is pretty physically and, and sort of emotionally demanding. And uh, yeah, totally. how does it actually work with your relationship? Can you, like, organize flights at the same time? Or, like, how does your roster pattern work? Because I know loads yeah, of guys. So I- <laughs> talk in terms of pre-kids and post-kids so pre-kids Jared and I would chase each other around the world we would be on different missions but we would find each other in different countries and um, like he said earlier we've been deployed together three times so um, yeah we would take trips and sometimes we'd be like ships passing in the night or sometimes I'd come home and high five him and he would leave mm-hmm. um, so it's quite busy now with kids thrown in it's obviously a little more complicated than that so so um, we have to plan our schedules more, which is um, provides a lot more predictability to our life, which is is a welcome change. Um, but yeah, it does get it can get difficult. I mean, I don't know if you guys have kids, but single parent ops is n- not fun for pr- prolonged periods of time. So no. we we make it work, but it's it's because we have such a solid relationship that we're able to do that. Yeah. You've- incredibly lucky and it's it's important to acknowledge that as well isn't it the the sort of roles that you you have to play to to make life good for everybody but no ben and i are childless lads about town that's not true. <laughs> not true at all um so jared you were talking about that uh competitive nature and you find ways to try and be competitive and and right at the top of the podcast i mentioned uh both of your social media followings and the numbers are are quite similar but there is a differential is that competitive between the two of you (laughs) no i I swear it's not it really wasn't uh to to begin with she she actually delved into it earlier on um as more of a recruiting tool and she's done amazing things uh in the space uh and i think uh, not to speak for her again uh, and i'll let her take this but we both have the social media as a way to let people know about this career field um, that we kind of, I like to think like backed into. We just didn't know how many amazing opportunities are out there, especially when you're younger. Uh, and that's how you kind of reach to the social, the, that generation. And I'm not doing it on behalf of the Air Force or anything. It's just, I, this is an amazing opportunity. I want people to know about um, how amazing it is. And if you work hard, you can do these things. They're not, they're not that hard to do. Honestly, if you, if you put, you know, the work in it, you can do these things. And, um, and that's kind of, and then they morphed into like, I don't know, just more followers and more people asking questions. And, um, and it's kind of this positive feedback loop because you get these stories of, um, people saying like, Hey, how do you become a pilot? And then you're like, I, you know, I'll try to write as many people as I can. And like, this is what I recommend in the U S. Um, and then, you know, I've done that, started that three or four years ago. And I've already got like those people saying, you know, I just graduated pilot training. I just dropped C-17s. And you're just like, uh, it really warms your heart and like gives you goosebumps when you hear those stories. Uh, and then mine and then Emily has just been an inspiration because um, obviously in the female aviation, you know, there's not, there's, I don't, they make like 4% of, of aviators in most commercial airlines. I think the statistics, I'm not, don't quote me on those, but um, she's recruited so many young women to know that they can do whatever they want to do. Um, and I'm just going to like segue into that because she's <laughs> done so many amazing things for those, but she has way more stories about young women like reaching out to her on social media than I do, obviously. But. Yeah. Can you, yeah. can you give us a, a bit of an idea of that, Emily? Because Ben and I, as two, um, for want of a better term, straight white middle-class men, we always have the, the conversation about diversity in aviation, whether it's women, whether it's people of different 
ethnic backgrounds. And we always kind of ask the question, why isn't there as much diversity as there could be or should be or we'd like there to be? But ultimately, as I said, we are just two people from the demographic that are overrepresented in not just aviation, but plenty of other industries. So you're an example of an incredibly successful woman in aviation who has had a family, has a great job, is a brilliant pilot. And you're obviously working hard to try and show people that this is a, a plausible pathway where you can literally have everything. So yeah, just tell us about what you're doing, who you're doing it for, and any kind of stories you've got. I mean, Jared's mentioned there people that he's spoken to who've who've now passed through. Are there any examples that uh, that you've had of, of success on that front as well? Absolutely, and honestly, it's a privilege to to be able to demonstrate this life that we have because, like we said, we're very fortunate and and we absolutely love what we do. And I just try to do my best to to demonstrate our life so that people can see, like, hey, they're relatable people. Like, they're totally normal. There's nothing. I mean, we have our old our you know our oddities and stuff, but like we're pretty normal people, and and we're doing this and we're having the time of our lives. And and I um. And diversity is really important to me, um, mostly because I have never personally felt like I was treated necessarily differently because I was a woman or because I was in the military or because, you know what I mean? Like I work with professionals, purely, truly professionals. However, you would not believe how many women or young girls reach out to me to be like, hey, is it really as bad to be a woman in the military as they make it sound? Or what's it like to to be, you know, one of one woman in a sea of 20 dudes, like in a in a squadron or something like that? And it's like, we're just we're just professionals. And I love that I have this platform to share that from, to be like, it's okay to be the only woman in the room. In fact, like it, you should want to be because the sooner you're there, the sooner other women will know that they can be there too. Um, and as long as you are strong and competent, there's nothing that's going to stand in your way. Um, at least that's been, that's been the situation for me. And so I'm just so grateful that I can share that and that I've had, you know, I can literally say hundreds of women that have reached out to me and, and asked me questions all the way from, you know, the military to pilot training to upgrade. And I've had the full circle feeling that Jared was talking about too, where they were like, I didn't think I could do this. And here I am. I just dropped my dream plane from pilot training. So thank you for inspiring me, which is, which is so like heartwarming and just, you know, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible stuff. Like it, it's all well and good living the life that you live and, and living the dream that you've the, you've created for yourselves but the fact that you are creating a pathway and not pulling the ladder up after you if anything you're pushing it back down for other people to climb up that's uh that's pretty Absolutely. amazing um in terms of pilot base then ben to to sort of bring it back to, to to your business what kind of uptake are you getting from women at the moment in terms of applications for for pilot jobs and things like that so it's actually really interesting what Jared and Emily have just been saying because when I first started Pilot Base, it was kind of it was to help pilots out, um, but I started with a kind of a commercial mindset. So I started building the platform, and actually I started the podcast as a marketing tool, effectively. Um, but as I go along, and the, the more and more people I speak to, and the the wider the network grows, the more you realise it's that sort of personal interaction and 
you know, just being able to help people out on a regular basis is the really, really important thing. It's not, you know, spreading stuff far and wide for 50,000 people to see. It's, you know, just helping one person every week, just trying to find their way in the aviation world. Um, that's the thing that's been really special from my point of view. Um, we are, we are mainly European based at the moment. We're trying to branch into America. Um, and having guys like you on board is, is just fantastic to, um, you know, have that bedrock of really inspirational pilots where people can look up to you and, um, yeah. And see, it's, it's a realistic path for, for anybody really. Mm. Yeah. I agree with uh, what Ben's saying um, wholeheartedly. Um, we're we're kind of obviously in a generational shift right now where uh, we're probably at the tail end. I don't know. You're, you're kind of like stuffy male white pilots you guys are talking about. Um, and then there's just this path and you can read about it and there's books and there's always information, but it's not as easily digestible, I would say. And that's kind of where your platform comes in. The, the more easily digestible, like daily interactions you can have. Uh, showing people um, what you do and then be authentic about it and not, you know, um, to be overly like uh, serious about it. Aviation is a serious, and I don't want to make light of that. Aviation is a serious business with safety measures and uh, crew resource management and all that thing and all that, obviously. But um, the easier you can relate to this next generation who is very more um, visual learners, they want to see things, they don't want to go read them. Uh, they want to know the person that is in that job before they have that job to see if they could see themselves doing it as opposed to um, just more traditional, you know university structure just roll right into that job and study and um so there is a gap that i think we've started to bridge and that's kind of what we enjoy doing is um getting that next generation involved that's why we do it i think the most important word that you said there was authentic you've got to be authentic haven't you and 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 accessed and that's the that's the beauty of it if you if you post something and it's got a picture and it's got a story, people can be like, oh, yeah, I can be like that guy or I can be like that exactly. woman and I can I can fly the plane and do the Bob skeleton or I can be the instructor <laughs> and the mum. And, oh, God. They, they, I'll, tell what, I'll tell you what helps your Instagram channels out, though, especially you, Jared. Your soundtrack is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> that is the biggest compliment to him. Yeah, no I do. I'm not a curator. It's like a modern day sad curator where I really do enjoy the music fitting with the short clips. And like I said, it's easily digestible. It's like 15 seconds to 30 seconds of, wow, this is really cool. And for whatever reason, the music behind it uh, matches so well. But I do spend time trying to find the perfect soundtrack. So thank you, Ben. I really do appreciate that. (laughs) Talk me through your process, your music selection process. Oh my gosh. I uh, I, man, that's that's a tough thing to nail down, honestly. Um, but I'll talk you through it. You listen to the same song a hundred times over, and like you're <laughs> oversimplifying this. Okay, he it looks is a for a certain beat. <laughs> Mind you, never with headphones in. <laughs> yeah. Some dinners have been interfered where I'm like, oh, uh, my brain works uh, in the moment where I uh, have that idea and I immediately must do it. I can't uh, write it down and say, I'll do this later. So, <laughs> but like I said, I just try to find the short clips that will capture your eye. Um, and then usually the music just kind of adds to that. And then the story is always behind it where people can uh, to address it. Um, it 
I just try to keep it quick and authentic. And then if people really do want those deeper conversations, they direct message me and then I am happy to have them. But I, I, I try not to do, uh, you know, uh, every post is like, you can be a pilot and be inspirational and all these things like every time. Cause then that, I think that goes too far the other way where, mm-hmm. um, you almost seem unauthentic when you're trying to be overly authentic, if that makes sense. So I just yeah, try to be myself. And then if people want to talk to me, I will always talk to them and give them as much time as I can, obviously uh, not to the detriment of my family or my interactions with my peers, but but uh, I will help as much as I can. So if people are listening to this podcast and they want to reach out to either of you, they can get in touch on socials and you'll give them some time. 100%. Yeah, what, what are your handles, just for the listener's point of view? Uh, I'm Fly with Emily, two Ys. One was taken, so uh, F-L-Y-Y with Emily. Um, and then I'm a uh, he pilots on Instagram as well as uh, TikTok. I have a, I got into the TikTok world, um, and that's been a whole beast of itself. So. Uh, um, I am, I am in the north side of my thirties. I'm not going anywhere near TikTok. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I tease Jared that I think at one time he was probably the oldest person on TikTok. <laughs> I don't think she's wrong. Hey, somebody has to be. It's not going to be you. It's going to be someone else. Um, (laughs) How's the TikTok going? In all seriousness, are people into it? Oh, oh, he's blown up. Yeah, we have. What do you have? One point seven million followers or something? Yeah. (laughs) See, I only knew about the Instagram. I did. That is my bad research. I didn't know about the one point. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. See, that is where good soundtracking comes in, Ben. Oh, evidently, yeah. Honestly, that's where that's where I kind of I was a pretty you know just the casual partake. In Instagram and Emily had the the more of a the traditional Instagram uh, pictures and content, and then I I found TikTok when I was uh, studying. I was actually in uh, one of our captain's career courses, like a polishing school for Air Force officers, if you will. Um, there were no flyings involved, so naturally I was uh, bored. Um, but still trying to pay attention. Uh, but that's when I found TikTok when I had some more time on my hands and I posted a video, not thinking anything. It just had a cool sound to it. And of us flying in Hawaii, which obviously lends itself um, to some good views. And that video blew up and I just kind of kept doing it. And um, then I was like, oh, why? Social um, Instagram kind of copied uh, TikTok in a way with their Instagram reels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started posting reels in the same the same um, um, kind of outline with a short video and a good soundtrack that uh, I could find. And, and that's why my Instagram started uh, p- progressing as I got a lot of followers from TikTok uh, coming over. Is that when you overtook Emily? Yep. Yeah, I yep. think so. He's just throwing He's the just grenades in there, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it's getting on so well, and you're just like, oh, there goes the pin. <laughs> Unreal. No, he earned it. I mean, he posts nearly every day, which is what you have to do. And yeah. he's he's doing a great job. I'm on like a post every seven months at the moment. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, right then, guys, uh, this has been an absolute joy. Uh, a couple of quick ones to finish then. Um, any planes you haven't flown that you'd love to fly? I've always wanted to fly a 747. Ah. Maybe I still can. We'll see. What is it about the 747 that you like? I I just like how big it is. Honestly, it's so pretty and it's so. It, she's the queen. I want to fly the queen. Yeah, and she's going extinct. And she is going extinct. So my time is limited. Uh, 
And Jared? Uh, I'm much more like new school. So like the newest stuff on the block, a 787 Dreamliner seems awesome. We, I think we were uh, passengers on one and I mean, the air even smelt nicer. So I was just like, man, that'd be pretty nice to fly. So anything that's the newest, I, I, I'm kind of those guys, you know, uh, newest phone guy. I, I know some of those people are the worst, but I, I like the new stuff. So. Some, something that smells like rich people. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get Americans like an Airbuses, are we? <laughs> we're i'm coming around honestly i didn't uh i was of the the stubborn you know uh, boeing uh products but we flown airbuses and the 320 i've been on a couple times with alaska airlines owns them and i was like i was impressed honestly oh, i love a 320 last time i was on a 320 i had a nap woke up and forgot i was on a plane it was just, <laughs> yeah. yeah what a joy what a joy um any countries that you haven't had the chance to fly to yet that you'd love to visit I have not had the opportunity to hit New Zealand or Australia yet, which is rare for being stationed out here. Blame it on the COVID. Um, so as soon as I'm back from maternity leave, I'm hopping on the first trip down there I can. Amazing. Jared? Uh, the same, actually. I want to go, we like to go to New Zealand and Australia. And the C-17 actually does go to Antarctica. Um, we do some, uh, there's one unit in, uh, in Washington state that goes to Antarctica, and that's kind of a bit of bucket list. That's how usually most of us get the seven con- continents, uh, is you should do that mission and land out in the ice down there. Um, you put, you put I don't know if it's in the cards, but <laughs> go ahead. You put skis on for that? Uh, no, we don't. Uh, we just have... Uh, the, the C-130s do the skis. I think it's the New York unit, a New York Guard unit. But uh, no, the C-17 has the, the braking capabilities. And then is, uh, the airfield does have to, have to be in the right conditions, the right weather, a little more so than the 130s. But uh, yeah, um, they oh, do that right. mission. And it, it launches out of Christchurch in New Zealand. So it's a good, good deal to be down there operating. I, I was about to wrap the podcast up, but we need to put more meat on this bone. Skis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would like to see a C seventeen on skis. Um, yeah, they just put skis on the on the one thirty, and there's still wheels like on them. It's just uh, uh, kind of think of about um, think about. Have you seen a, a, a water uh, plane that yeah. lands on the water? Yeah, yeah. So very similar. The buoys, but just they're shaped the same way. They're just skis to 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 to, to spread the dispersion on the the runway. But there's still tires on on there. But how how does it stop? Well, the, still the braking on the tires okay. is the, the friction one. that'll cause the stopping. Under, I told they kind of like shut out the bottom of the skis. So. I told you there'd be fight. silly questions. I told you. <laughs> I don't know either. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, this has been such a joyous conversation. It's been so nice to get to know you. And I really hope that some listeners uh, do reach out because it sounds like you've got some wonderful things to say and examples to give. And hopefully you continue to have a, a great life together with your family as aviators and helping more people get into uh, into the industry to lead that great life as well. Thank you so much. Thanks Thank for having us, truly. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Pilot Base podcast. We'll be back next week with another great guest from the aviation industry. Don't forget to check out our new career platform at pilotbase.com and all the socials at pilotbasehq. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and write us a review. 